All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the MoneyWise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor with our 34th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 154 points, or four-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 36 points, or eight-tenths of a percent. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 300 points, or 2.3%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 3.6%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 14.7%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 29.8%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So, we have, coming into next week, we have four days left for the month of August. Uh, Again, continued light volume as a lot of folks are preparing to go into the Labor Day holiday, uh, not this weekend, but going into next weekend, if memory serves me correct. And we're just in a kind of traditional continued summer correction. You know, the S&P 500 off roughly around 4% uh, from its high so far for this year. And um, it's kind of like steady as we go through the, uh, the dog days of summer. Well, I'll say this week had a little bit of volatility in it. We had a really, really good day. Was it three days ago? And then uh, I think it was Wednesday. Wednesday. We had a pretty good day. Then Thursday, we had the S&P gave up 1%, and today we had a pretty good day. So you've got like a lot of choppiness in a very short period of time. And maybe may, I don't want to bring up the Fed because that could go with the entire program today. But well, we're going to have to talk about the Fed because the big speech, the big speech at Jackson Hole that happened on Friday morning, and to your point, Joe, about Thursday is we had a reversal because the market came out hot out of the blocks and then reversed and wound up closing on the low of the day on Thursday. And I would say in anticipation of what Jay Powell had to say Friday morning. But then also we've seen quite a bit of volatility all the way across the yield curve in the Treasury market. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say something about the volatility. Friday it just by itself was quite volatile. We we were up several hundred points at one time in the Dow, and then it was negative, and then we ended up closing the day 
up several hundred points in the Dow. The S&P and the NASDAQ had had similar swings one way or the other. It seems that they were maybe hanging on every Fed governor that came out and <laughs> showed their face in front of the, the cameras at Jackson Hole. And if one Fed governor said one thing, it moved the market one way or the other. This is typical uh, for this type of event. And I think magnified by the fact that we just we don't have a lot of players on the field in the month of August. And as Kyle had said, we've still we've still got a few more weeks of this uh, lack of personnel, if you will, in terms of the investment decision making. They're just they're they're on vacation. This is just traditionally uh, a time of the year when you know there's a big concentration of money management on the East Coast. You know, Boston to New York. There's trillions and trillions of dollars in in money managed out of those financial centers. And there's a lot of people on vacation. When they're on vacation, they're typically not making investment decisions. And so what what movement there is in the market, because there's just not a lot of players, those movements tend to get magnified. Now, I will expand a little bit on, you know, the performance. You know, August has been definitely the worst month so far this year. Uh, as Kyle had said, that the S and P down four percent just for the month of March. Was, he, Kyle had mentioned it, it's four percent. March or August? August? Pardon me, August. 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 Thank you, Kyle. I was like, we're in March now. Yeah, so we're in March. <laughs> Sorry about that. The Nasdaq's down, you know, more than five percent just for the month of August, and actually, all the indices for the quarter to date through Friday are all negative. The Dow, S and P, and Nasdaq—they're all negative for the quarter. Eight. So we've given up all the quarterly gains that we had in July. We've given them all up here in August. Now, yes, we have four more trading days left until we move into September. Uh, after Labor Day, you know, we're gonna we we have a Fed meeting coming up in September. I think Kyle may remember on the nineteenth. So it's going to be in the latter half of of the month. We will have got another CPI number, I believe, by the time we have that meeting. It's probably on the, 14th the week before. Or 15th, week before. Mm-hmm. We're going to have an unemployment number on Friday. If if unemployment is still hot and the CPI number shows some what doesn't show continued progress on the inflation front, then I think you're, you could probably bake it into the cake that we may get another quarter percent rate increase. Yes, Joe. Well, you had the handicappers today, I think, I was, or Friday, I was watching it, the 30%, 40% for another rate increase. So that's what, that's what the for Vegas months are right now. But which month, Joe? Because I heard that they a high probability they could just pause in September to allow more data to come in, but that they're leaving October, November possibly on the table, and the odds for an October hike is up to 50%. And so they might just decide to pump the brakes again in September and wait for some more data points because I know that one big driver of this of inflation has been particularly rental properties and the renegotiation of these leases. As they say, as these leases come and mature and get <clears throat> renewed, that that can continue to fuel inflation to be moving lower at a faster pace, but it just continues to take time as we get through the year. But I, I think from what we could take away from the Jackson Hole uh, speech Friday morning is it's kind of like what we expected. We expected them to be hawkish. I think some analysts would say they weren't as hawkish 
as they anticipated <laughs> them the, to be. Yeah, those, that those definitely wasn't folks, as hawkish yeah. as last year. Okay. Well, those are the folks that are probably maybe overly bullish, in my opinion, that are looking for the silver lining in anything. But to me, it was a big nothing burger. There wasn't really anything. I anything I agree. New. I'm like, I almost fell asleep. Well, no, like, no, no. I, 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 I agree. It, it, bottom line is, is that we're going to contain inflation. It's going to be data dependent and we'll make our determinations for interest rates, hikes, pauses, or eventual cuts based on the data. Have a good day, everyone. I'm going to go fly fishing. I mean, that's what Jay, <laughs> Jay Powell basically said on Friday, on Friday morning. But let's take our first commercial break. We'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street over this past week, uh, you know, with the Dow being slightly negative, down four-tenths of a percent for this past week, S&P up just under 1% positive for the week, but the NASDAQ coming in strong up 2.3%. You know, great week for the technology names, although, as we said in the first segment, we're still continuing to see this volatile trend in the month of August, which a lot of seasonality. August, September are historically the two worst months uh, for the markets. In August in particular, a lot of folks going on vacation, very light staff, low volume, can also lead to some higher volatility. And the S&P has seen kind of a traditional late summer corrective mover off around 4% from the all-time, you know, from the high for this year. Um, but, you know, we were talking about the the speech of, of Jay Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Friday morning at Jackson Hole. Now, obviously, the speech was not as hawkish as it was last year because after the speech last year, we saw the market correct about 20%. Uh, from the time after the Jackson Hole Symposium from his speech. And I actually ran across some interesting statistics this past week that came from MarketWatch, and it just goes back to 2003 and showing how the market from, you know, when I say the market, the S&P 500, how it's performed the next day, one week, one month, and three months after the Jackson Hole Symposium speech. Well, over the past 20 years, the average return three months post the Jackson Hole speech, the S&P 500 is up 2.07% on average. You go back even further, going back to 1978, it's up 2.60%. But in years where the S&P 500 is up 10% or more, Three months after the Jackson Hole speech, up 2.53%. So for whichever statistic you want to look at, the average is positive three months later. And I would say, and and I don't know if I I think you all would all agree, that the Fed is much closer to being done raising interest rates than continuing 
their interest rate increasing policy. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement, but I may be getting ready to say something that you may not like. Those statistics that you just read out, in my opinion, are as much a nothing burger as the speech that Chairman Powell gave Friday morning. And you know why? Because none of that time period had any time period, any part of that time period did interest rates go up as far and as fast as they have here in the last year and a half. And they're not done. Well, I did read it since that goes back to 78. Just, no, you said it went back to 2003 or something like that. I but mean, then, mortgage you're, rates, you're not paying attention. The second know. set of data was going back to 1978. Let's check a transcript. 2.60%. Okay. 2. We, we are average. now at the highest mortgage rate since 2001. That's 22 years since mortgage rates have, have been as high as they are right now, which kind of makes me wonder about this whole rental cost statistic that may or may, you know, may have a driving force in inflation. If I'm in a rental property and I want to get into a house, the cost of that house just keeps going up and up and up because interest rates have just been mentioning higher and the, and the mortgage rates just keeps keeps going higher. How easy is it going to be to get, get out of that rental property and into a home with the way, with the cost of homes now? So if I so if I can't make the numbers work, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to stay renting in that property. And so, how much rental property is being built out there? I don't know. I mean, I don't see a whole lot. I mean, I haven't driven around Corpus to look at how many how many apartments were being built. But it would seem to me that folks that are renting that want to get out and buy a house, this is the probably the most expensive time. In 22 years to get a house, which means they're from going a to mortgage be standpoint. From a well, mortgage from a standpoint, total, from a total cost, we're talking mortgages. We're talking about property insurance. How much of everybody's property insurance gone up here in the last year? Auto insurance, all, property all insurance. Of us, going all up. of us have had, you know, yeah, you know, property insurance has gone up too. So, is there enough By rental supply? New, is there enough new rental supply coming on to keep? rental costs the same or declining, or they're going to be demanding higher rents, which is going to eventually find its way into inflation. And as you said, Kyle, Chairman Powell said what? he He's going to contain inflation. Well, at what cost? At what cost is that going to be to contain inflation? And so far, you know, you went back to the beginning of this year. What were we all th- talking about? When does the recession begin and how deep is it going to be, right? That was the narrative in January. Now, here we are, right, you know, eight months later. Now all we're talking about is, well, there's probably not going to – we're probably going to have a no landing now. We're probably going to avoid a recession. That's the, that's, the, that's the thinking now. That's the consensus right now. And I'm just – I'm I'm not here to, I'm not declaring victory on inflation the feds not declaring victory on inflation so I think there's more pain to come and how painful well, it's going to okay go ahead I was going to say can you define pain cuz pain can be very subjective 
as far as what level of pain, because as we've always, as we've talked about on this program, because the employment picture has been so strong, because of the fact that there's still 9 million jobs available, in my mind, that puts some level of a backstop under the economy. No, because, that puts, no to me, that puts more reason for the Fed to keep inching rates higher to t- try to reduce that. Because what is what is unemployment right now versus a year ago? The unemployment rate. I mean, it's it in a roundabout it's exactly the same. the same. Yeah. Three and a half I got another percent. statistic for you guys, yeah. too. But, but, but inflation has come down since last so, year. Inflation has come down, but it's still higher than the, Fed's, than, the, than the Fed's target. And just because it's come down doesn't mean that the next print says it stays the same. Or what, what happens if the next print is a little bit higher. How as far as fast, employment? How or what are we talking fast? about? Think about this for a second. If the next print, which is going to be out in three weeks, the next statistic that's released is slightly higher than people expect, how much from a psychological point of view is that going to have an effect on stocks, especially some of these stocks that have run up a ton? Like NVIDIA. NVIDIA had a great they had a great uh, blowout. Great. Blowout. I mean, it was a Let blowout. Let me ask you a question. How much is the stock up since the blowout announcement? Not much. It was, it was down on Friday. I think it may actually be down since the since the uh, uh, earnings announcement. Since the announcement. On, on it is. I think it was because yeah. it was slightly positive. It was up less than 50 basis points on Thursday after the number came out, and it was down 2.43% on Friday. No. So, yes, it's net negative since the earnings announcement came out. There's a lot of gains this year that, are that to me, are predicated on this narrative that we're going to have a no landing or so soft of a landing you're not even going to feel it. And – I'm just not in that camp. They're just I'm just not there. Okay. Yes, I got I got Give another. Let me, here's another major purchase statistic. If you're talking about real real rates, so does anybody know? I just checked this uh, on and a new car loan for the interest rate on a new car loan is twelve point eight seven percent. All right, last that's year, credit rating. That so it's a seven fifty. That's that's what I'm reading now. Seven wow. Year ago was four point eight five. Point being, let's just say it's a pretty safe bet that your interest rate to borrow to, to borrow to buy a new car, even with a great credit score, is probably more than doubled. So there's another real, uh, you know, real interest rate we have to deal with. But you know what that mortgages. So, but you know what that does, Joe, is that can also help move prices lower because inventories are going to start building on these to. lots. If car to. dealers cannot sell these cars with someone with a good credit score having to charge them 12, 13% interest. And that sounds about right, Jeff, because neighbor of mine, he's, he's in a, uh, he, he works as CFO of a big car conglomerate uh, dealership here in town. I asked him what are subprime, uh, loans going for on cars. And he told me, and it was like a credit card. I mean, we're talking 18, 19, 20% interest. And so that will help slow down the sale of vehicles, which means prices are going to have to come down. That's going to contribute to inflation coming lower. But, you know, Joe, you brought up. That's also going to affect those businesses' profitability. But also remember, as inflation, if the Fed holds interest rates static and inflation continues to move lower, the overall net, net, I know, if, and it will, and the, the, the net actual real yield, the net interest, it continues 
to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, it gets bigger as far as from a nominal rate to what the real rate is as inflation continues to move lower. We're going to have to pick this up. We're going to have to pick this up on the other side of the break. So we'll pause there. We'll pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So wanted to pick up on the point that I was making right before we got cut off by the bottom of the hour break. Because, you know, There's some analysts out there, there's some financial talking heads that are anticipating that the Federal Reserve is going to be cutting rates sooner rather than later. Now, we've said on this program many times that we don't foresee interest rates being cut by the Federal Reserve anytime soon. I would say the absolute earliest would be in the summer of 2024. But they definitely were talking a little bit more about this on Friday morning after the Jackson Hole speech from Jay Powell. And the point that they were making is that as inflation continues to incrementally go down, even if the Federal Reserve keeps their interest rates static where they are right now, the real interest rate that is being paid gets bigger and bigger because inflation becomes lower and lower. And so that would give some credence to the Federal Reserve cutting interest rates to bring their nominal yield their overnight Fed fund rate, with the real yield more in line net of inflation. And so that was just something I wanted to throw out there. Now, Jeff, I think you're in the camp that you, for some reason, think that inflation is going to turn around and keep moving higher. And I'm trying to extrapolate maybe why you're feeling this way, because when we're seeing these retail numbers that have been coming out, and we're starting to hear about the slowdown of the consumer On the retail side, you know, so they're starting to spend less when it comes to shopping and buying products. Well, that's that's been that's the print here of late. That doesn't that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that that won't turn around. But there are lots of components of of inflation. Now we're Joe Joe had mentioned a couple of those uh, a a while ago. We got we got property taxes. We got insurance, whether it's car, whether it's health. You know, rent. You know. Businesses like ours, every one of our, practically every vendor has has increased their prices to us this year. You know, our rent goes up every year because of typically what office contracts are. You know, when you release lease office space, you typically pay ever increasing rates of uh, on your rent as the years go by in your lease. But here's the thing: you know, all the things that you described about this real interest rate—that's all great for savers and investors, but it doesn't mean that the rate on someone's credit card is going to go down. If the the Fed's it's talking, isn't saying anything about cutting rates right now. Cutting rates shouldn't be even in anybody's mouth right now. I I agree. It should. I agree. It, it shouldn't even. It should be just totally unspoken because so they're not going to do it. Yeah. 
not gonna do it. It's George, all. It's it's it's. it's, it's <laughs> my gosh! It's replay. No fun till the I can't, fed. I can't even get caught. Can't even get a smile out of Kyle. Are, are, you, are you trying to pull a Dana, Are you trying to pull a Dana Carvey? You That's know, right. not, not gonna do it. It's no fun until gotcha. the Fed is done. We haven't said that in at least six months, but it's still. We're still but, the but I would say, where, the, but yeah, but Fed is closer yeah. to being done. So I mean, the Fed they're, they're definitely closer. So, so the Fed stops. So what? You're still going to have interest rates. If we if they raise a couple more times, now you're talking about 1990s interest rates. Now you're talking about totally uncharted territory for this century, right? Now let me ask you a question. I don't know if anybody knows the answer to this. Did we go out at a five percent yield on the two year yes. on Friday? Have yes. we done that? Have we done that this year on a Friday? Go out with a two. Mm, per, I'd uh, have to look at the charts. Yield? I'd have to look at the charts. Double check a two year, Kyle. But 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 the two year Treasury is definitely getting into some territory that it's only touched. You know, some rare right. air that it's touched a right. few times I mean, this past five, year. We're getting five and a quarter percent in high yield money markets. Right, they raise another quarter percent. Guess what? It's going to be five and a half percent. If they raise it another quarter in September, it's going to be five and a half percent by the end of September, first week of of October. Uh, on a total, on a literally near riskless. You know, right so you're so Jeff's that getting at serious, that is serious competition for stocks. Jeff's getting at Terra. There are real alternatives, not Tina, but there. And they, Terra. and, they there are more, and, now, and if they so. get more attractive, these narrative these narratives about okay, we're going to be cutting rates next year. You know that's going to disappear. Finally, you know we, we'll stop hearing about it for a while, and. You know, what's happened here in August, I'm not sure that this is not a preview coming attractions of the of September, October. We've had many, you know, we've had some very uh, difficult market periods in September and October in the past. Don't let me re- remind you of that. No, don't, don't say that. Well, no, I mean, yes, from a seasonality, August, September yeah. are historically the two roughest months for the market. But let's also keep in mind, yes, a position-traded money market accounts making you five and a quarter, 5.30%, but now deduct inflation and your real rate of return no we're one talking is, is, is what, less than 2%. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's the same as getting a 15 to 1.75% interest rate in a zero inflationary environment because you have to look at what your real return is. Now, granted, locking in yield to maturities, four and a half, five, five and a quarter percent as inflation continues to move lower, yes, makes those securities much more valuable, makes it much more valuable because your overall real return continues to grow and gets bigger and bigger as inflation comes down. This is the reason why in our portfolios we're going out and we're locking in these higher rates several years into the future because we anticipate that the Fed is going to be successful, as they always have been, of tamping down monetary inflation. It just takes time. It takes time for all this to come to fruition. The Fed will be successful, but there is a cost to that success. And the cost of that excess, the cost to achieve that success, I don't know, is really fully priced into the markets. I don't, I, I'm, I'm a little incredulous at paying 20 PEs 
on some of these on some of these stocks when we're getting five and a quarter in money markets and maybe five and a half in a month. But again, those PEs are skewed because of seven stocks. Okay, but those seven stocks hadn't done jack squat. Have any of those seven stocks since their earnings announcements have been made? Are they higher than when they were at their their last earnings announcement? Are they lower? We already said Nvidia is lower. I would hazard to guess that most all of them are lower since their uh, last earnings announcement, especially if the Nasdaq is down five percent this quarter. Yes, I mean I don't don't have it right here in front of me, but yes, there's a very good guess. That tells me that tells me the mag, the, the magnificent seven time in the sun may have come, and we may on maybe on the downhill slope of that. Now, does that mean that money shifts to other stocks, other industry groups that haven't participated to the extent that the magnificent seven have, or does it buy bonds, or does it go into cash? Yes, Joe. I didn't want to talk about something today, and Kyle was talking about retail. All right. And Kyle and I were discussing this earlier this week, and we're like, we're just totally befuddled. Because if you're a home gamer and you're trying to pick retail stocks, I would look at the stocks of the companies that have not had a flash mob come in and reel off and steal a bunch of their a bunch of their merchandise. Because if you look at them, I'm reading Market Watch and, and Dick's earlier this year. I mean, we don't own Dick's, just for disclosure. Earlier this 20, week, Dick's got Tuesday was down, Tuesday down 22%, and obviously their main – source of why they're saying their earnings were down and why they missed their target was theft. The same thing could be true. Walmart said the same thing and Target said the same target. thing. Mm-hmm. And it, what I'm getting at is there's, there's a lot of things that are going on in the market. If you're a home gamer trying to pick your own stocks, be careful. But if you look at certain industries, like Jeff just mentioned tech and the Magnificent Seven, and you look at you know, retail stocks. It's challenging. It's always been challenging to pick stocks, but I can't ever remember how there's different ways to hedge against risk, but how do you, and diversify your portfolio, but how do you diversify your portfolio and hedge against risk against theft? That's just, I want to throw that out. And flash mobs. Hold on, hold on. It's something else that Joe and I were talking about, particularly these retail right stocks now. is that some of these retail stocks with some of the gap downs, it's like you would see this in a technology or a biotechnology stock that doesn't have any earnings with some of these gap downs when you're down 20, 30%. But then on the flip side, we're seeing huge gaps up, gap ups. You know, Abercrombie and Fitch would be a perfect example this past week of someone making their number and just get, you know, shot out of a cannon to the moon. So in the past, we have, I mean, I can think of Best Buy had a target. Had a Target, thank you, Joe. had a had a had a really tough. I think it was second third quarter last year. Oh, I know it. Um, I know Best Buy had problems. You know, a number of years ago, there was mm-hmm. there was there was some concern about whether they would even make it as a company, and they managed to come back. You also have to wonder sometimes if management uses shrinkage, which is the which is the corporate speak for theft. Uh, as an excuse to justify, you know, maybe they had a poor asset, poor mix of merchandise to sell, or they, you know, they spent a lot of money on promotions and it didn't, and they didn't get it, they didn't get the customers in the store. They didn't do enough promotions to get the customers in the store. I know Kohl's is, is an example of a, a company's been challenged. I think it's doing a little bit better here of late. I think they, but they had a lot of challenges last year. Uh, so we only have one retail stock. Well, we would call it retail. It's Home Depot. 
Pardon me. Car, pardon tractor me. And tractor supply. supply. Tractor supply. Sorry, I forgot about tractor supply. Uh, and they're both kind of in the same industry group. Well, let's pause the right there. Yeah. Okay. Same, same space. Thanks. I dare I dare flash mob to go and do uh, tractor supply and try to pull that <laughs> all the country boys. All right, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to Wise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, you know, we were talking in the last segment about, you know, some of the big, the Magnificent Seven, some of the big tech names that has been one of the biggest drivers behind the overall performance for the market cap weighted S&P 500 but as we've always been pointing out on this program, especially this year, because so much of the return of the S&P 500, it's a little misleading because it's been driven so much by these magnificent seven stocks. You look at the S&P 500 equally weighted index through the close of business on Thursday, because we record this show Friday after the bell, so we don't have the final numbers. But through Thursday, the S&P 500 equally weighted index is up 4.77%. You know, and that is, again, equally weighting assets distributed amongst all the companies in the S&P 500 index. So, again, it just goes to show that the Magnificent Seven is adding almost about 10% of total return in the market cap weighted index. And, yes, this month – we have seen some profit-taking. We've seen corrective moves in these stocks, but it doesn't mean that the day in, the, their day in the sun is completely up because let's all take into consideration the seasonal effect of August, the lack of volume, lack of staff, a lot of lack of buying that's taking place. And with the kind of run-up that these stocks have had, you never go broke taking a profit. So it never hurts to scrape some of the profits off of the top, but these are stocks, a lot of the Magnificent Seven, you know, we own four of the seven, you know, that these are going to be staples in the portfolio for many years to come and already have been in the portfolio many years prior. Uh, it's just about proper allocation and not allowing individual stocks becoming too big of a overall asset allocation weight in your portfolio. As Joe always says, know what you own. You have to look at your statements. You have to look at your allocation. You have to make sure that your portfolio isn't living and dying on the performance of just a handful of stocks. You know, I, I'm going to say it. I'm going to use the old adage on Wall Street. You have to spread your eggs across many baskets. And as we've always recommended, never own more than, never put more than 5% of your investable net worth in any one individual stock. Can you own more than 5% in a U.S. Treasury? Yes. Could you own more than 5% in an exchange-traded fund or mutual fund? Yes. Individual stock? No. We do not advise that. That's just well, too and, much risk. And one of the things, if you are a home gamer and you have, say you have the Magnificent 7 and you have an S&P fund, ETF or you own the Qs, 
And you, you owe it to yourself to take a look at, at everything that you have and, and from a portfolio standpoint, because if you have all these other ETFs and you have these stocks, there's a real, you know, you're going to have a very, very high concentration of some of these stocks that we're talking about. And, and but that's a good point. You easily and, and violate that, the 5% rule that we talked that, about. That's a very so. good point because, like, like Joe was saying, you could own these individual stocks but then own a diversified exchange-traded fund. But then if you start looking at the overall weighted allocation between all of your holdings, you're right. You could easily violate that 5% rule because of the allocation in the exchange-traded fund in that particular name that you also own individually in your portfolio as a single name. So that's a very good point. So make sure you know what you own. For the average investor, that's difficult to determine because you need special tools in order to run that kind of analysis. So if you own those Magnificent Seven, you probably shouldn't be owning very much of the Qs or the Spies because those are such – Big allocations in those those two those particular ETS, or if you want to own the spies, own the equally weighted spy. That way, you're not uh, overly exposed to you're not you're not increasing your exposure to those magnificent seven stocks any more than you may all otherwise be. Yes, Joe. Uh, there are a couple of historical uh, offenders or stocks that most people own more than five percent of. One would be probably Apple, and then we always see a lot of people <laughs> Microsoft. That have Exxon. Or X- right. Microsoft or Exxon. Those are like the three big that I always say, oh, I got 10%. Yeah, but you also Apple. have to have to understand that some of these, these last year we were, we were well, I guess it was really in 2021, we were really railing on some of these large cap uh, stock mutual funds and the concentrations they had in some of these stocks that later became the Magnificent Seven. And Many of those mutual funds in 2022 had horrific years. One of the mutual funds that we had sold in 2021 had a terrible 2022. And guess what it's hap- guess, guess what it's doing this year? It's having an outstanding 2023. <laughs> but even the outstanding performance of 2023 is not, you know, is not offsetting the horrible performance of 2022. Because the, these mutual funds just happen to be overly exposed to those magnificent seven stocks. So be careful about owning mutual funds that are concentrated in large cap, uh, uh, large cap stocks because they, many of them are overly exposed to those seven, uh, those seven stocks. You know, the, the, the offender that we talked about in 2021 is, I, I think the last time I checked it, it was, completely insane it was like 40 plus percent of its portfolio was in the magnificent seven i mean to call it non-diversified would be an understatement these 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 seven stocks will not as a group go up into infinity it will not happen just as the nifty 50 stocks of the 1970s did not go up to infinity Manhattan, many of those companies don't even exist anymore. And, yes, and, and sometimes you have embedded capital gains in these mutual funds. If them to unload these huge positions, they're going to pass on those taxes and those capital gains to you as an investor. So you have to be very uh, – ETFs are a lot more tax efficient. But it's the other bugaboo about highly concentrated mutual funds in certain positions. It's hard for them to unravel. It's like a Titanic. It's hard to turn that sucker and hard to be nimble with it because – of the embedded capital gains that they're going to spin off if they sell if they sell certain stocks. And that's a very critical point for any of our listeners that have 
post-tax or taxable investment accounts, that point that Joe was just bringing up. You know, and as you know, we have moved away from no-load mutual funds a lot of times because of their internal costs, their fees and expenses, but also because of this embedded capital gains and this lack of tax efficiency. You know, so at least owning an exchange-traded fund is much more tax-efficient. It's diversified like a mutual fund, but it trades in the open market where the price is constantly fluctuating. So you have a lot more control from a management standpoint of when you want to get in and get out, and you're not getting the same price as every single person that owns it like you would get end-of-day pricing, like you would get end-of-day pricing for a mutual fund. Joe, one last point before we got to wrap no, up. No, I'll just say that's the importance of getting a portfolio review and using tools that's that are right. available that we have to know what you have. That's right. Together, so. And this is why we offer portfolio reviews and analysis, because we do have those special tools available to get a second opinion from a team of portfolio managers that have north of 70 years of combined asset management experience. Well, with that, we're coming up at the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's Money Wise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chalked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues? Because I guess it's kind of like 
getting your high school diploma. Maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma. Is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll I guess we'll, we'll go with seventy five percent. Seventy five percent is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement? Now, this question has been – we've heard so many different – is it four times? Is it five times? Is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary. B is six times the salary. C is eight times the salary, or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C, eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurdly large, honestly. $800,000. $800,000. Well, think about $800,000. Yeah. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa and son. I know that, but, but, but when you see this number, uh, $800,000, I, I, I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so I guess what I'm saying is I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that. I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember, the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement, and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little, that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents... Our grandparents didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars when they retired, and they they lived. actually actually my 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 grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but I, but I'm retired. thinking about your parents yes. and no, mom no. and mom's no. parents. No, I'm, th- no, I'm, no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last twenty five years. Yes, yes, no, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. 
I, when, I think when, this no, number no, no, scares me, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, but it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year. And we think that that's awfully low, and we think the reason they set it at 4% is, one, so that they can continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible, to keep as much money on their on their in their care and control, if you will, so they can keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep – we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out – so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two. A popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%? Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, people no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire? And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement? And the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So, in high school, maybe, and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Let's to take. flashback. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. 
I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. Mm-hmm. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them wherever they go wherever they go and but, so, but they have to participate but they have to participate and so what i'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers i, I fear that most of the people the baby boomers are the first 10 years of the baby boomers they're done they were in these same plans they didn't start their 401ks until the 80s there's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers they just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand new cars yeah. in, in the garage. You know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who had, when they retire. Their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, 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 and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like you're talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, no. is is it bad to to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid 50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been 
and I've been, uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it, and so it makes our our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So, question number three. Question number three. Jeff. What percentage of surveyed workers aged fifty-five and above said they or their spouse? have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement. A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty two. It was up from forty two percent in two thousand and three. So, the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do. And I hope that we're part of getting that number up. We, absolutely. And, and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators and you can spend all day having fun with calculations and the computer program does everything for you and it's free of charge. I also one other thing I didn't say, I think the ninety two is really a ridiculously high number. As age. far as living? Yes. I I, I don't If think you that... look at the actuarial charts though, Dad, right now someone age sixty five, they have a better than fifty percent chance to live well into their eighties. Yeah that uh, with modern advances in medicine. So uh, you can disagree with it, but I the totally disagree. Are there. I think that I mean there is very few people who are going to live to be ninety two. Very very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four: Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement, and what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you make $50,000, But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, a quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus, plus, 
past the age of 65. All of a sudden, you put 20 years into $250,000. That's not a lot of money. That's about 12500 a year. Yeah. That's not, that's, you're not going to be on it's any a grand needs. a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So th- that's, why, that's why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see, the 800 number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. Not if you live 15, 20 years in it retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't hey. No, so, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you're, you think you're going to live. You've got to watch your actuarials and see where they are, and you have to plan accordingly. You think people are going to live to be in their 90s. No, 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 no. They're statistically, I mean, these I, are statistics I'm, just, I'm spouting. I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92. No, that that's that's absolutely true. And only one in four have got that number. That's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though? And this is thirty six percent of of age fifty five plus. Thirty six percent of this group have reported to have saved less than ten thousand dollars. Now that that is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. Go into the news. When we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we're continuing the quiz that came out of the wall street journal think you're ready to retire that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz and we've gotten to question number five now, question number five is, what is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired? And what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 60, 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re, one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on it. Because if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, 
how can they actually retire? The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of Social Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying the number right now is 61. And for for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees, they stopped at sixty one. They Which retired at sixty one before they before could get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security, and now and now workers are currently thinking about age 66 i mean i which think would, it, which would I, be after the majority of them start being able to collect and, and here's security. something else that's interesting about this statistic remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s so they worked 10 12 14 years before a 401k even existed that's true and and, and really the iras had not been around that long and so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every, you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age... 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they, they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? Now, the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for uh, say they have worked for pay in in retirement. So I mean that when sixty nine percent are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality only twenty five percent do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part time side job and and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that. But very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%, C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age. And the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, reduce expenses. So we're just talking about and hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah. One in four. So how could only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent 
have enough savings. That can't be. The number should be 26, 25. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National Retirement Risk Index at the Center for Retirement Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies, everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing the few. We're seeing that one in four that has saved, Mm -hmm. that has got this money. But you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right, when, and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're we're not embarked. Even get into politics. W- now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the '60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable Unaffordable Care Act. Act. Health Act. I mean, we don't know. And so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon, which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is is going to stay the same. Well, excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a this, few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. Hold my water. <laughs> 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day, how many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's going to skew Social it, Security it's benefits It's going to skew whatnot. entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year. In 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. 
Now, the re- but the remaining significantly larger than most. Now, this number is is significantly larger than most than most consumers estimate. And a Fidelity poll of pre-retirees age fifty-five to sixty-four found that nearly forty-eight percent believe that they will only need fifty thousand dollars to pay. Health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical it. costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into, you know, what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of medical care, like a visit to a emergency room and what that can cost. $200,000? $220,000. That number is too low. Whatever that number is... I'd believe eight hundred thousand before I'd believe two hundred thousand because the truth is we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, we want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401Ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, num- that's, that's, that's we shockingly been, you know, low. Well, well, we have been on, we have been on for a long time talking about low participation, low participation rates in 401ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution well, on lo- top lo- of that. Yeah. And you, when you add those two together, then you're then it's very easy to see how someone how we have what was it thirty some odd thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz: A household age sixty five is living on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and at three percent inflation. 
how much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I can answer that okay, question, Jeff. At age 75, with 3% inflation, you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation, while they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, in this low interest rate environment... By having high allocations to fixed income in their portfolios. That, that's right, and that inflation is eroding purchasing power. Let me put it in a simpler way. $5,000 grocery bill today would cost over $9,000 in 20 years. And I used to use also that car example, what your 67 Fastback cost versus what the average cost uh, of a car... $3,600. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over $30,000. That's inflation. Uh, question number 12. What percentage of households age 65 through 74 carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is 41% carry housing debt and 32% carry credit card debt. Now, this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000, according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those, 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day -day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day -day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, long, a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s, and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000. Don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start yeah. saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have you know, a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that, that are, I think, in, in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and and be much more comfortable. 
Now, that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is that. Time, is Training. time is time on your side? Well, you know, you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you just give up, sit on your hands, and, and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not, having, participating. not participating in the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key, and pay yourself first and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line, and so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. And so if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in, 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 in retirement, if you want to get a... a, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.